Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Rethink, a podcast where we revisit past articles from the University of Malta's Think magazine. Looking at the pioneering work we have featured in the past, we catch up with the researchers to see how far they have come since they appeared in the magazine. My name is Chris, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Diva. Hello, today we're here at the Campus FM studio with uh, Dr. Engineer Emanuel Frankelanza, who is working on how to teach machines to perform semi-automated tasks. Is that right? That is correct. My work basically revolves about using technologies, especially digital technologies, within the manufacturing field specifically. Now, obviously, when we speak about manufacturing, that is a very, very broad term. So, first of all, we start even with aspects of design. And design is notoriously something which humans do, and humans do very well. It's a creative process, and therefore getting machines to do creative processes brings on its own particular issues and problems and challenges. So, obviously, we try to get and use the advantages of having machines to support humans in the decision-making processes, for example. Machines can be very good at doing repetitive tasks, mm. whereas humans are very good at being innovative, creative, finding new patterns which were not existing before. That is design. But then we're not very good at doing the repetitive tasks, looking for problems or challenges or things which fall outside of our mental capacity sometimes. Designers tend to be quite stressful, stressed people. They're always chasing deadlines and therefore sometimes you make mistakes during the design process not because you're unaware of the problems that may happen but rather because you don't have the time to think and therefore machines can help us over there and when you think about it uh, so many parts of our lives are automated by uh, smartphones and computers but on the other hand the production of these devices is still, to a large extent, very manual and very human-based mm. in uh, low-wage economies. Well, it depends. Actually, uh, something which is quite interesting is that China is actually the largest market at the moment for robots. Why? Obviously, this is an economic issue because uh, labor cost in China has increased significantly over the past 10 years and at this point in time China is looking at a strategy of automating even previously manual processes and this obviously brings then different requirements because now automation is a very different challenge to simple production and again if you're looking at Europe and higher advanced economies then automation is the only way in which you can efficiently produce. Even locally in Malta we see this increase which is constant. Most of the existing production lines which we find here are highly automated. You need even the type of skills which are required to run these systems because now we speak about systems as well, are quite advanced skills. Obviously, you have things like robotics, you have uh, even communication systems nowadays. Well, basically, a modern manufacturing system isn't far off from your smartphone. It's intelligent, it's smart, it works autonomously, it collects data, it analyzes that data. Again, we're using more and more digital technologies within that shop floor, and really and truly, you don't see anymore 
what we would think of the 40s and 50s production lines with many people working in a conveyor belt kind of fashion. So hopefully it's not going to be the loss of jobs but the development of jobs to supplement these machines, these computers which are providing them with information but they're not taking away their role in the grand scheme, the old production line of stuff. Exactly, because at the end of the day there's still the element of decision making and over there is still the human who is in control and who is overseeing and making sure that everything is working according to plan. Even in a production line aspect you have issues of problem solving. Again, we're going back to creativity and innovation, looking for patterns which were not existing. And here machines still, for now at least, lack a little bit behind us. But obviously then you need a workforce who is capable of working within such environments and even developing systems that can work with humans. Do you think there will always need to be a human component in these factory settings? Well, over here, even in scientific literature, you have different opinions and different philosophies. My opinion is yes, we'll always need require a human aspect mm. to that. So let's hear Dr. Franca Lanza's article, which was published in the June 2017 issue of Think. Designing the factory of the future. With consumer demand reaching new highs, automation in industry is essential. Dr. Engineer Emmanuel Francalanza writes about his contribution to streamlining the complex factory design process for contemporary engineers. From smartphones to smart watches, smart cars to smart houses, intelligent technology is inescapable. Busier people have made efficiency a valuable currency, and thus the Internet of Things, IoT, and its plethora of connected devices have become a necessary part of everyday life. The application of this model goes way beyond the regular consumer, however. To keep up with demand and the public's seemingly insatiable thirst for new and varied products, factories are being upgraded too. Thus, we now have the Industrial Internet of Things, IIoT. The things being controlled on the factory floor are machines, robots and systems carrying out a variety of manufacturing processes that transform raw materials into products sent out to market. Due to their impact on operations, these technologies have brought about the fourth industrial revolution, Industry 4.0. The idea of highly automated factories may come across as very contemporary. However, the reality is that they have existed for decades. This transition began towards the late 80s, early 90s with the development of Computer Integrated Manufacturing, CIM. The CIM approach advocated the design and development of manufacturing systems and underlying control systems to integrate different machines and have them work together. Companies such as Lego made use of these technologies to continue producing in countries such as Norway where human labour wages are extremely high. In recent years, affordable industrial IoT technologies have seen the development of new business models that allow companies to sustainably implement fully automated systems. But the task is easier said than done. In designing factories which implement Industry 4.0 technologies, engineers must take into consideration a vast array of moving parts, interaction between machines and human operators, changing business strategies. Big data has also changed the game, forcing engineers to wrap their head around massive quantities of data. Long story short, the engineers need to be robots themselves to complete the task of designing a modern factory. 
Dr. Engineer Emmanuel Francalanza of the Department of Industrial and Manufacturing Engineering at the University of Malta proposed, implemented and evaluated an artificial intelligence-based digital factory design tool, nicknamed FACDES. This initiative supports the implementation of smart factories through the use of virtual environments and representations that supplement the real manufacturing activities across the factory's life cycle. There are two approaches to providing such AI support. Artificially replicating human cognition in AI to automate the design tasks or developing intelligent design assistance. Given the problems with replication and the difficulties that arise from making decisions based on uncertain data or information, researchers wisely opted for the concept of an intelligent assistant. Intelligent design assistants can learn from past design experience and carry out semi-automated tasks. The intelligent design assistant provides explanations for its reasoning and acts as a colleague to the engineer designing the factory. The working philosophy is therefore to complement the engineer's own natural skills rather than replace them. Whilst providing the required support, the intelligent design assistant leaves the engineer with the final decision-making, control and responsibility, allowing humans to utilise their ingenuity to solve the ultimate problems. While the concept of an intelligent assistant was a solution to one problem, actualising that solution posed its own set of issues. Developing the human system interface for the intelligent assistant proved to be amongst the biggest challenge. Engineers could not continuously be presented with large amounts of information to process. Only information which is of high relevance to the task and decision being made needs to be presented to the stakeholders. Otherwise, there is a risk of information overload. To avoid this, an MIT-developed approach called Just-in-Time Information Retrieval was implemented. This approach filters information, recommending what is needed at the right time to proceed with the design in a non-intrusive manner. From the result of the evaluation, this approach was greatly appreciated by the stakeholders who assessed this tool. The encouraging results obtained from this research evaluation have shown that the digital factory tool and the design approach framework on which it is based meet the goals and are useful in practice. This result can lead the way for the development and integration of such knowledge-based decision-making approaches within state-of-the-art digital factory tools. However, implementing these new Industry 4.0 models will influence society and that needs to be taken into account. As discussed at World Economic Forum in Davos, unemployment may increase while wages for low-skill workers and their rights will be attacked. In February 2017, renowned inventor and entrepreneur Elon Musk also sounded a warning about the future of manufacturing operations and hinted towards the introduction of a universal basic income as a result of automation in manufacturing. Elon Musk is very familiar with the implications of such intelligent factories, since Tesla's very own Gigafactory, currently under construction in Nevada, US, employs such technologies. Likewise, Bill Gates has also recently suggested that governments should tax companies' use of robots who are taking human jobs as a way to at least temporarily slow the spread of automation and to fund other types of employment. Industry 4.0 brings new meanings for the concept of manufacturing work, availability and flexibility. The question many are asking is, will this revolution lead to intelligent systems and robots taking over all manufacturing activities? The implications will be vast and people need to be protected. At all costs, we need to avoid the dire scenarios propagated by pop culture. So at the time when you wrote your article for Think, it was 
very widely discussed and uh, the topic was everywhere and uh, even in the highest policy circles uh, the Trump campaign made a promise to bring back manufacturing jobs to the United States which are also being lost to automation so it was a highly political issue where has it uh, gone since then and what is new in your project of course it still is it still is very topical um, you see this even in uh, policy making especially in Europe we have the famous coined term industry 4.0 which is still a very highly relevant term today even though there is some hype unfortunately with respect to that term but what it is leading to basically the aspects of the use of intelligence and artificial intelligence techniques and digital techniques such as big data etc within a manufacturing environment that still remains highly relevant both at a European scene and a global scene and even locally. I was invited by Trade Malta which is one of the institutions which takes care of uh, foreign direct investments here in Malta and uh, I gave a presentation of the research work which we are carrying out here in the latest state of the art to a number of uh, FDIs here who are producing here in Malta. Why? Because they know that to remain competitive they need to adopt these technologies. So at this point in time, even the Trump campaign, if you look at that, it's bringing manufacturing in order to create jobs. But we're not speaking about low-level operator jobs. We're speaking about very much higher jobs over here because once you speak about machine intelligence, machine learning, big data analysis, which are crucial for these type of technologies, then you're speaking about engineers, IT developers and big companies who are working within these spheres. In fact, there are many multinationals, big names, who are developing software platforms specifically for this use. And obviously, even the local manufacturing firms are very enthusiastic and want to take on these technologies in, in order to improve their competitiveness. They know that this is the only way in which they can remain competitive. Do you think they have a hope of retrofitting legacy technologies or would you advise them to scrap them all together and start fresh? Definitely not. And this actually leads to even some research and the latest research which we are carrying out. First of all, from a sustainability point of view as well, that is a no-go. Economically, it's even worse. So don't forget that a manufacturing machine would cost easily upwards of 100k. And that causes problems even on the balance sheet if you go around telling people, listen, scrap all of your machines, please build new factories. So what we're doing is we're trying to analyze these systems and see how we can upgrade them. So we call these legacy machines and we're trying to see how we can retrofit basically, how we can basically implement new systems in order to collect data, analyze the data, and provide the right feedback. Obviously, Can you give an example? Yes, of course. So we're working with a current company at the moment who currently we're working with a company who's working in the automotive sector and they have a number of machines, for example, injection molding machines to do the plastic components. And these would have been purchased five, six years ago. These machines would be loaded with sensors, yes, but that data is really 
collected and stored locally. Now, that's fantastic, but it doesn't really get to you anywhere much. So if we can collect that data and store the data centrally, it's already an improvement. And there are machines which allow us to do that as well. But then the processing techniques which we can utilize. So it depends on the machine, it depends on the level of the machine, whether we can extract the data or not, whether we need to fit in new smart sensors, for example, or not, and also the type of processing we want to run. If we want to do machine learning, again, we're looking about large quantities of data. If you're collecting sensor input every 10 milliseconds, then over an hour you're speaking about millions of data points. And that's impossible to process just from a standalone drive, for example. So then we start speaking about cloud computing and all the challenges that that brings about. Obviously, we're used to cloud computing in our personal lives, but that has nothing to do with cloud computing in an industry where data is extremely sensitive. So there are new challenges which come into play over there as well. Is there a risk of having all this sort of infrastructure controlled digitally that like some rogue cyber agent could come and cripple a whole factory's production line and hold it, I don't know, like hostage or steal data, like industrial espionage. Is that a factor that needs to be taken into account? It is very much so. So in fact, we do a lot of work in terms of raising awareness, even with companies about these challenges, but they're challenges, they're not problems. There are challenges that can be solved. So with the right infrastructure, with the right setups, you can actually solve these issues. In terms of, yes, companies have been actually held ransom, ransomware. So in the same way that uh, ransomware can be uh, holding you hostage in your own PC, mm -hmm. then it can hold your whole factory. Is that like withholding information until you pay? Uh, or so it's, so? Now, the issue here, it's not just information. And with the factory, it's much worse because you're not just holding information, you're stopping a production line that's basically speaking about thousands of euro an hour mm -hmm. and also issues related to health and safety. Why? Because if you're holding a system ransom and you're putting at stake or crippling systems and that can have safety implications. So even a silo for flour something which we think can be quite innocuous can actually be very dangerous if it starts overheating mm -hmm. or if it is not ventilated properly. So even uh, stopping, for example, a ventilation system within a factory can be extremely hazardous from many points of view for the humans, for the environment, etc. And so this is something... All the hidden things that are happening in the background yes. that are doing stuff, but you may not think about it too much. Exactly. So we have to be very careful. And there are ways on how to protect and make sure that these problems don't happen. And really and truly, again, we advocate for this type of digital technology. And in reality, you can work very safely. Obviously, no system is completely unhackable. I always mention the example, if you can hack into the NSA, then you can practically hack into anything. Uh, obviously, it's all a uh, matter of risk and managing that risk appropriately, having the right processes in place. Something which is very susceptible on a manufacturing line, for example, is a USB stick. So plugging in a contaminated USB stick into a manufacturing line is obviously yeah. going to cause problems. So you try to avoid that. And that is a human issue, 
It's not a digital issue per se. And those are the greatest risks. And for listeners who probably don't have much knowledge about how these systems work, could you give us some comparison to our daily life applications, for example? We know that email can communicate across platforms, but operating systems cannot. And there's a lot of work that goes into designing apps for different operating systems. So what are these industrial systems based on? Are these operating systems as we know them? Or is it something totally different? So most of the time, and this was a difficulty which we faced until recently, the concept of digital manufacturing has actually been around for 20 or 30 years. The fact of integrating different machines to work together has been around for a very long time. But the issue of communication has always been a struggle. Why? Because in our consumer lives, we're used to working with three different types of operating systems, more or less. Whereas in a machine working world, each and every manufacturer would have their own operating systems. And therefore, you had what were called system integrators that could integrate these systems to work together. And that brings quite a lot of difficulty because then you have to extract the data and communicate quite literally nearly on the level of bits and bytes. Obviously, with modern communication technologies, and we speak about now something like the Internet of Things, where you're communicating over the Internet and you can have common languages and common platforms for exchanging data and information, then it starts becoming feasible to implement such systems. Obviously, on our daily lives, we're used to this. We see it transparent. It's transparent most of the time. If we have our photos on our phone, we can see them on a PC, we can see them on a tablet, etc. In the manufacturing world, it's not that simple, but we're getting there. And obviously, once you start doing that, then you can start running certain algorithms, which we already are used to in our daily lives, search algorithms. So even searching for photos, nowadays you can search with the text term. We can start to do that even in the manufacturing world. And uh, some experts say that co-creation of this interoperability is the future, that universities and industries and startups should partner to design these systems together. So is there any advice or probably any plan already how to do this locally? We're already doing so. So we already, as a department and my colleagues, we work a lot with industry and with suppliers in order to develop solutions together. So if you see even our flagship projects are all collaborations with industry, with suppliers in order to develop solutions which are tailor-made basically for particular applications and solving problems which are coming from industry at the end of the day, not just theoretical aspects. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, just another quick note from me, Daiva. As you may have noticed, this is the 15th episode of our show. This means that the first season of Rethink is coming to an end this month. For us, this means reflecting on, or indeed, rethinking the show's journey since it launched in January. Since then, we have discussed transport, concrete, space satellites, video games, and more. We know that you have listened to it on Campus FM, on Spotify, numerous other apps, 
or simply on your web browser. We also see that most of you are based in Malta, but we have also had listeners from the US, India, Germany, the UK, Trinidad and Tobago, Denmark, Spain, and numerous other countries around the world. We are excited to see that you find our show interesting and relevant. During the first three months of our show's live, your favorite episodes were Blockchain of Things and Brain Control. Have you enjoyed the show? Should we keep going? Is there anything you would like us to change? Your feedback is more important to us than ever. It will shape our decisions for the next season. Please send us a message on think at um.edu.mt or on Facebook by looking up ThinkUM. That's T-H-I-N-K-U-M. That was all from Rethink for today. Tell us what you think about the episode by commenting on ThinkUM on Facebook, ThinkUni on Instagram, or ThinkUniMalta on Twitter. Rethink is produced by Think Magazine in collaboration with Campus FM. If you are listening to us from outside of Malta, you can find Think on isuu.com forward slash thinkuni. Our theme music is by Princess Wonderful. You can find a link to her profile in the show notes. Your hosts, Daivara Pachkaita and Chris Stiles. Our sound technician is Carmo Grek. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and bye for now.